Welcome to season five of Faith in It with Kay. Look, it's been a while, right? You know, I'm super excited that you're joining me for season five. It's been a while since we've been together. Um, but season five, hopefully, um, will continue to give you more of the same kind of uh, heartwarming conversations. <laughs> um, so... We are starting season five, and I think, honestly, I think season five is like that that season of cross-generation kind of conversations. So we're talking to some baby, baby boomers, um, and we're having those conversations about um, really mental health. So we're starting off like just talking about mental health, because I, I missed Mental Health Awareness Month in May, um, but I still wanted to continue that conversation, because I, I, although the month is over... It's such an important uh, topic. It's such an important thing that uh, we need to continue uh, throughout the year. So we're talking. We're talking mental health, and I'm really excited about this season. I hope that you know it will continue to uh, inspire you, have you laugh. Um, it might make you angry a little bit, you know, or sad. Um, I think all those emotions, <laughs> emojis, you know, to a certain extent, uh, they're healthy, but the hope is to always get you to a point where after all of that, you still see God, you still um, are energized to go out and trust God and believe God for who it is that he's called you to be and what it is that he has in store for you. Uh, so I hope you're going to, you know, I hope you enjoy season five. And as always, if you have something to say, I want to hear it. Please go ahead and follow me at Kadeen Hillary. That's my personal page on Facebook and um, Instagram. You can follow all the podcast page at Faith in It with Kay on Instagram and Facebook as well. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're thinking. Um, like, subscribe, and follow wherever it is that you're listening, whatever platform that it is that you're listening to this podcast on. Please let me know what you're thinking about it and let uh, those who are, you know, part of those podcast those platforms know um, that this is a podcast worth listening to. Uh, so please, you you know, if this is something that you listen to and you believe in the content, please uh, help me with promoting um, and really kind of getting this information or these conversations out to other people. Because hopefully these are conversations that you're already having, but if you're not having them, these are conversations that I hope will inspire you to start having these conversations with your friends and with your family um, to really kind of get to like the wholeness of who you are and who God has called you to be. And then, you know, for you to just understand that no matter what it is that you're going through, you are not alone. Um, and there is somebody who has gone through it. And hopefully we'll have them on this podcast so you can hear that there is an end to whatever you're going through. Whatever you're going through has an end date. It cannot last forever. It will not last forever because God has already told us about his perfect plan for us and how everything, everything that he does is perfect. Everything that he does is for our good. Um, so no matter what you're going through right now, just know that God's perfect plan and will 
It's for you to succeed. It's for you to thrive. Thriving so much so that you'll be able to reach back and pull somebody else up with you and pull a tribe up with you. Um, Because honestly, there are people connected to your destiny. So whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing, find that thing and walk in it. Walk in it fully. Walk in it scared. Um, Walk in it unsure. (laughs) Um, And just Walk in it prayerfully because no matter what emotion that you're going through, when you walk in it prayerfully, God is able to give you the strength that you need. He's able to give you the resolve that you need. He's able to allow you to see just how full you are, how full you are of everything that you need to accomplish every single vision that he's given you. So the next thing that you're going to hear is a new episode, right? You ready for that? Keep listening. All right, everyone. So for this episode, we have my friend, um, Miss. Well, look, look. Now I don't even know what to like formally say because I be like I say Sister Lynn, um, but uh, Lynn <laughs> Jones <laughs> is who we have today. Welcome. How are you, sis? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Good. So we're going to get started with the get to know you segment. I'm going to ask you, let's see, can you tell us your happy place? Well, my happy place is real simple. It's being in the presence of any body of water, whether it's an ocean, a lake, a creek, doesn't matter. My happy place is in the presence of a body of water. That's a good one. I like that. Um, All right. So I think the next one um, is tell us now. Can you tell us three of your favorite things? So you're in your happy place, maybe. Um, Do you have things that you like to bring with you? Or just in general, three things that are just your favorite to have no matter where you are? Well, in general, I I love to travel. Mm, Um, I was even able to get something in during COVID. Okay. <laughs> um, I love musicals. Okay. Um, and I love lemon meringue pie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like those. I like those. All right. So let's see. I'll ask you one more. And this is always my favorite question. Like 2020 is over, um, but there's still some effects and there's still some lessons that we learned in 2020. Um, and if we're honest, we're still learning some of them in 2021 because COVID is still around. Um, but can you just share with us what 2020 taught you? It, it's uh, interesting that you asked that question because on January 1 of every year, I post yeah. on Facebook uh, the answer to that question for the previous mm. year. I've been doing that for a while. And so my lesson learned for 2020 um, is that it, it taught me to listen with my heart Mm. and to activate my love unconditionally. So love without works means nothing. Yeah. And love with strings attached is merely selfishness. Mm. So, so I've learned to listen with my heart and to love unconditionally in action. That's a good one. I like that. I like that. That's a good lesson. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you've already been on the show. Most people, I don't know if they'll remember, but you were among um, 
actually it was three um it was sister deb um yourself sister val um you ladies were all a part of my first episode ever um in season one so you know people may or may not remember but if you want to go back um, just so you know, you can go back to season one. And this is the very first episode that I did. Um, Sister Lynn is on there. Um, Sister Deb and Sister Val. And Sister Val is also um, a guest as well that you've heard from already. Um, so, but in case, you know, you haven't listened to that episode to get to know who uh, Lynn Jones is. Sis, can you tell us who is Lynn Jones? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I I tend to answer that question with thinking or or should I say telling you what others have referred to me as. How's that? Okay. Okay. Um others have referred to me as intelligent, um, strong, compassionate, mm-hmm. um, a woman of integrity, oh. um, with a devoted love for God, yeah. Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And committed to serving and revering God's people and his creation. Yeah. We we tend to revere others, but sometimes we forget that God didn't just create man. He created creatures and nature and, 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 and animals. And so I believe in, in being committed not only to, God's people, but also to his creation. Mm, That's a good one. So with that in mind, like, I think all those things definitely describe you. Um, So then my, uh, my next question would then be is who does Lynn Jones say she is? So what Uh is your personal (laughs) definition of who you are? Um, I think, you know, those things are spot on. Um, but I think sometimes the most important thing is who we say we are. Like once we know who God says we are, like it's a matter of do we believe it or not? Or, you know, all those great things that people say, it's what okay. we believe about ourselves. So can you tell us who do you say you are? I say that I am most of these things that people, they've been spot on. Yeah. Um, But what stands out to me at the top is that I'm a woman of integrity who loves the Lord, who loves the Lord and and loves to give back to to others. Yeah. And in various forms, you know, um, in prayer and tangible helps um, in just giving back to the community, whatever it is. I'm just a person who loves to serve. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I'm going to then I think now everyone's probably wondering, well, what does Lynn Jones do? Can you tell us a little bit about your platform? What is the now you you have these um, integral uh, characteristics kind of outlined for us. Can you talk a little bit about how you put those things into action? So what is your platform? What, What do you do? What do I do? Um, well, let's see. I kind of have to backtrack because I like <laughs> to. I like to when I share the platform. 
I kind of like to give a little history of how it started. Um, because then you can see the, the full picture. Um, so as a preteen, um, I began unknowingly, that is, mm -hmm. um, I, I was the go-to person for those preteen issues, um, such as, um, I like David. Do you think he likes me? <laughs> or, <laughs> Linda rolled her eyes at me today. Um, so this trend of being the go-to person began uh, to grow to the point of being asked, or should I say suggested by family members to consider being a psychology major, you know, when I go to college. Long story short, that's exactly what I did, um, immediately followed by grad school, and then followed by another grad degree 28 years later. And so mm -hmm. that's where I am now. Um, about eight years ago, I went back to school and decided I, I want to get this time a clinical mental health degree um, because I recognize the importance in obtaining my license as a professional counselor of mental health. And so it was necessary to make that step. So I had to kind of take 10 steps back to bring me 10 steps, 20 steps forward Mm. Where I am today, um, I worked hard to acquire the title of a mental health professional counselor, licensed, and um, and I'm grateful for my gift of resilience during that that process. Um, so my platform really is to um, inspire, encourage, and empower people, um, mm -hmm. helping them to see that they have all those ingredients, and um, and then showing them. Um, how to use what God has given to come out of their, to reach, to, to break down the barriers, the mental health barriers, whether, you know, physical, just the whole barriers of, of being. Um, my platform is to help people to recognize it, heal, and then go out and do the same for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. So, you know, of course, because I know you, I know a little bit of behind the scenes workings, and I don't know if that's something that you wanted to talk about, but I do know that someone is in the process of starting her own business, um, which is pretty major. So, I mean, she didn't share that, but I just think that's really also important. Like, she is a mental health uh, clinician licensed um, in her field. But she's also taken this huge leap, but truly not so huge, only because um, she knows this is something that she needs to be doing anyway. Um, so can you talk, you know, do you mind talking a little bit about that? No problem. I will. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to do it. Um, <laughs> I, I have this bad habit of not knowing how to toot my own horn. Mm. Uh, but yes, I recognize the importance of getting a license. And, and the next step, of course, is to have my own, my own practice. Yes. And so I have started the LCJ counseling services practice. Um, yes. So it's, awesome. uh, the, the ball is rolling and, um, I'm excited about how God is um, touching that and giving the 
proper foundation for it to yes. move forward in a way that it is of integrity um, and excellence. Yes, yes. Congratulations again. Um, Thank you. So can you tell us, uh, talk a little bit about your journey and, you know, what motivates you? Um, gee, my journey. My journey has been what I uh, think of as one of miracles, mm. one of death experiences, mm. faith, and resilience. Um, I'm what they call a living miracle, mm. a 1961 three pound, 10 ounce preemie. Wow. A ni- 1997 life-threatening auto accident survivor. Mm. A 2013 breast cancer survivor. Mm. And a 2016 two-time graduate degree recipient. All right now. <laughs> so what motivates me? <laughs> Knowing that if God blessed me with resilience to go through these and many other things, then I, like all of us, am here to serve and bless others along their journey. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what motivates me. You know, I can do it. So can you. And let me help you get it too. Yes, yes. So, you know, in everything that you've already spoken about, we can kind of, you know, get an insight into you, um, your relationship with Christ and, you know, just the impact that it's um, had on your life. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about that, about your relationship with Christ and how that relationship has impacted um, your life and, you know, kind of like the decisions you made, you're making, um, the decisions maybe that you've made to get you to this, uh, this current place that you're in. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that relationship? Sure. Um, whenever someone asks me about my relationship and the, I guess the origins, if you will, I'm, I'm always directed to um, the memories of, as a child, being with my great-grandmother. Um, my mother reared me as well. We were all in the same household, but my great-grandmother was around me when mom was working very hard. And um, she exposed me to the teachings of God and the power of prayer. Yeah. Um, so I started learning how to pray when I was a, a little child and, and, um, and seeing just what it does, that it's real. And she also taught me about death and, and recognizing it as a um, part of life, you know. Um, after she died, um, by that time I was a teenager, and my my mother um, encouraged me to step into my own understanding of Christ. And ever since then, um, I've always had a strong relationship with the Lord. And um, have I had experiences of being pulled and tugged by the world? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, still do. Um, but I had a foundation as a child. I, no one had to tell me I saw and I experienced what God can do in the power of of Jesus Christ and, and, and prayer and, and just understanding the whole uh, pathway of life from birth to death. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's really, um, that's really good because like I, I think sometimes 
it, it is a question that we think about but don't really think about like you know how our relationship or you know saying yes to Christ um we 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 think about it sometimes like how our lives has changed um but it's not something necessarily sometimes that we really reflect on um you know just what used to be what could have been <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know the difference um that we kind of like the difference of the life that we're currently living because we said uh, yes to Christ. Um, so, you know, like I, that's something that I'm always interested to hear um, just the impact that that relationship with Christ has had. Um, because I think sometimes it's something that we, you know, yeah, we think about, but we don't necessarily think deeply about or talk about um, a lot of the time because it's, so, it's such like, it's there. It's, we know we know there's an impact, um, but there's not often a space or a room that, you know, kind of allows for that conversation or necessarily wants to hear that conversation. Um, so right, that's right, actually right. one of my um, uh, favorite questions, just to find out um, just the impact that crisis had um, on my guests and, you know, in their lives uh, when they said yes to him. So can you tell us, I feel like you've told, you've kind of, alluded to this you, you may have even really said it um but can you tell us what your why is and and how it drives you so what is your why and how does it how does that why drive you in the decisions that you make in the life that you're leading um yeah so I did mention a little bit of my why it's simply um you know my my mission um, my, my why is based on what I believe God has ordained me to do, mm-hmm. which is to um, inspire, encourage, and empower others yes. uh, through the spoken, sung, and written word. Um, that's the piece I didn't mention is, is how I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, and that, that is the mission that, that I believe God gave me. Um, I've been pretty much doing that all my life and didn't realize it. Um, I've been inspiring people through my singing for many years. Um, I've been told many times that um, someone will remember something I told them like years ago. And they will say, well, you said to me, ABC, and that has stuck with me all my life. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, that is what God called me to do. And then the writing, um, I've written... Oh gosh, I've written a play. I've written um, devotionals. I've uh, written mental health brochures. Um, just written so many things, and and just never even realized um, that it was all connected to his call. Um, so I'm I'm driven by the level of resilience that I was exposed to mm. from my ancestral. I call my ancestral cloud of witnesses. Um, because they're all, you know, they're all gone now. They all passed away. Yeah. Um, but, but as a child, um, I had a tremendous um, a group of strong Black women um, around me. And now they are all my ancestral cloud witnesses. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I saw what it looks like. I saw what resilience looks like and what it feels like. And um, now... I long to show others the same thing. Yeah. Show what was shown to me and to to give back. 
through my mission. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Can you tell us what does your ultimate future look like? What what is Lynn Jones doing? Um, I I through as I said before through my experience and exposure to to death and having a different understanding. Um, I think I'm called to put a lot of work into grief and loss. Mm. And so my ultimate future, um, I believe, is to be an expert in that area, um, showing others how to heal um, and how to see death as a life process, um, as the, the next step to greater life, yeah. which is eternal and, and not the end. Yeah. Um, and as a mental health counselor, I'm currently working in this capacity, as well as in other life, working with clients with other life challenges and transitions. Um, but I do believe that the main focus is grief and loss. And I hope the future that I will be on that list of experts. Yeah, that's good. I love that. So before we trans- transition like this conversation, I want to make sure because, you know, Sis is not tuning her own horn, but I hope you guys all heard uh, within her conversation. She's a licensed uh, clinical, licensed clinical, what is it? I want to make sure I get it right. LPCMH, licensed professional counselor of mental health. Okay. Then she's a singer. She is an entrepreneur with her own clinic um, coming, you know, forthcoming. She is a writer. So, you know, she started all this conversation of more of her characteristic things um, and not necessarily outlining all these different gifts that within those characteristics, um, all these different gifts and areas that she's using those characteristics. So those um, internal truths about herself, but these are all the areas in the fields that she's using uh, those things in. So, you know, before we change the conversation, I just wanted to make sure that we outline that. Um, you know, she's doing some great things and she's active in all these different areas, um, as a writer, as a, as a, um, as a clinical, uh, physician, as a, um, uh, what is it? A writer. Did I say writer already? A singer, mm-hmm. um, singer. as an entrepreneur, like, <laughs> so I just want to make sure that we put that out there, you know? So these are all these different areas that she has expertise or that she has information or that she has wisdom in. Um, And I have no doubt that you will uh, go to the level of being that expert as it pertains to uh, grief and loss. Um, So I have no doubt that you'll be able to do that because you're already um, doing such great things. Um, Thank you, Aiden. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, you know, by the time you guys hear this episode, it'll probably be June. Um, But, you know, right now we're in May and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, And I think the month is important, but I'm also really excited that this conversation is going to be happening also in June, that you guys are going to hear this conversation in June, um, because I think it's conversations that we need to be having consistently um, and not just necessarily in, in May. But I think it's so important that we do have this month that's focused on it entirely. Um, So... But I think the conversation needs to continue beyond May. Um, so as you already heard, this is just right up. <laughs> this is right up her alley. 
Um, so just can to you add just some tell some... us why is this month important to you? Okay. Um, I wanted to, before I answer that question, I wanted to just say June is, is also relevant um, as I am a breast cancer survivor and June mm -hmm. is um, Cancer Survivor Month. Oh, it's, yes. It's, um, yeah, Cancer Awareness and Cancer Survivor Month. So it's all relative. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. So, so May is um, Mental Health Awareness Month. And it is very important because it's an opportunity to raise consciousness and understanding about mental health, about mental illness, because there's a difference, and about the importance of mental well-being. Um, it's also an opportunity to dismantle the myths and the shame and to show the world how we can be a working solution and support mm. and not an ongoing antagonist. Mm. Um, it, it's, um, we, we have to do better, but, you know, I believe we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, hmm. <laughs> the conversation of mental health, I think the pandemic um, has definitely <laughs> heightened it to where people, more people are aware. So, you know, the issue didn't start with the pandemic, but like Absolutely. the other issues within our nation, um, because we had no, nothing else to do, but kind of really like look at those internal things, take a look at those things that were kind of happening, whether it was within ourselves or a family or just different things and say, hey, something's not right here. Like, I think that isolation, that seclusion <laughs> caused us to kind of really, really think about um, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it. And also, I think because people weren't in the offices as much, like now it became to where you're kind of taking a look at, wow, like I didn't realize that I didn't have time to mourn certain things or I didn't have time to really deal right. with the issues of life because I was so busy working. Um, I was mm -hmm. so busy running and doing all of these things that when people were kind of still and quiet and alone with their emotions and their thoughts and their feelings, then it became, um, for some people, it became too much. And for others, you know, who were able to kind of seek um, mental health uh, physicians and just different avenues to kind of like help regulate their emotions. Right. Um, I think it became a more of a, a really cathartic kind of like moments where they were kind of, you know, released. <laughs> and as mm -hmm. we're kind of going yeah. back out into the world in a different way still, um, exactly. I think there are a lot more people who are going back a little like hold our hold. Yes. Sometimes mm -hmm. my English gets, <laughs> my Jamaican mm -hmm. gets a little bit ahead of me. So whole <laughs> the word is whole um, yes so there are a lot of people who are you know going back into the world whole because we didn't know that we were broken um before yeah. the pandemic happened but the Absolutely. pandemic allowed us to kind of like take a look at that can you talk um a little bit about like the pandemic of covid and how you saw it affecting the mental state of our nation um i I believe that COVID-19, um, well, there's statistics that show this as well, but I believe that COVID-19 has created a, a global state of depression. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it has created a surge of 
resilience. There's mm-hmm. my word again, resilience. Yeah. Um, it created a surge of creativity. Yeah. And it created a surge of, of new levels of love and compassion. Yeah. So I think people in general were all hit hard and of course became depressed about not being able to connect with people. That's what we do. Not being able to have socialization, not being able to uh, produce the finances that are needed to sustain our, our homes and our families. Yeah. Yeah. But then the tables turn when I think the country realized we have to now create our own solutions. Mm. What are we going to do? And so people began to, as I said, be creative and find ways to support themselves, support their family. Um, they figured out how to use social media to connect. Yeah. I mean, and, and you saw acts of love and compassion all over the, the country in, in trying to you know, combat this um, pandemic. Yeah. Um, it was a beautiful, I guess it's a beautiful model for yeah. how we deal with um, emotional issues. Yeah. You know, we, we face it head on. Yeah. We join with others to find ways to come through it. Yeah. And um, so I think that's where we are now, continuing to um, be creative and find ways to come through. Yeah. Of course, there's a percentage of people that it has affected um, grossly. Yeah. Uh, And that's a whole, you know, it's another situation. But most of the people that it affected grossly were people that were already dealing with uh, mental issues and, and, yeah. and life's challenges before COVID. Unfortunately, COVID-19 just um, exacerbated um, the symptoms of life for those who were already struggling. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I guess on a, another note, like, can you talk a little bit? So not only was there you know, deal with the pandemic of, it just seemed like there was so much going on. So the pandemic of um, COVID-19, so the health um, pandemic, and even within that, dealing with the the disparities, uh, racial disparities as it pertains to health um, and healthcare. Um, then there was economic, as you kind of, um, you know, stated, the economic uh, issue of covid um, that kind of got unleashed too as well because then now it became where so many people were out of work not just in America but you know globally people were out of work um, trying to figure out how they're going to feed their families pay their bills and then for those who were already middle class or lower or, or just poor working class you know mm-hmm. it was really really devastating because you were already struggling to um let your bills and your money meet (laughs) in a way that Mm -hmm. still allowed you to eat um, or your family to eat. So you were already struggling. Then this pandemic came and then now because you have no nest eggs or you don't have those different kind of resources available, there are so many people in limbo, you know, losing their houses and just different things. And then on top of that, we had the racial tensions. Um, And this was not something that was new. but like many other things during COVID that caused us to be so shut in anyway and caused us to kind of face things head on, 
we had the racial tension and, you know, the mistreatment of, you know, black, black and brown Americans. And, you know, that was, that's been a big thing. Like, I think in the black community, it's something that we were always dealing with. But if I can also speak for myself, like, I know it hit differently with COVID because here we were dealing with COVID that didn't care what color you were, what financial status you had, um, what gender you were. So all those classes and, and things that we put in to um, segregate and separate ourselves or to divide power, it didn't matter with COVID. But even in the midst of that, those nonsensical things of still, here we are still fighting with color. Um, pigmentation really because race is yeah. just a figment um, that we've created as a as a way of um, exercising power over one one shade of pigmentation over the other but it's it was more devastating the fact that here we were dealing with this common enemy but even in mm -hmm. the midst of this common enemy who didn't care what anyone looked like there was this still enemy <laughs> that was there who did care so yes. COVID yes. was taking yes. us out and here we yes. are dealing with police brutality. And I, I get it. The argument is always whenever I have conversations with everyone, they're like, well, the crime in black community is so high. You guys are always killing each other, blah, blah, blah. Like, look, that conversation is just so much deeper than we're killing each other. Who are we going to kill in our own neighborhoods? If all you live around is Black people, you're going to kill Black people. If all you live around is Black people, you're going to steal from Black people. Just like if you go into the white community, they're also, most of the crimes that are committed in the white communities, believe it or not, because people are shocked, they still think it's Black people going into white communities. They're committed by white perpetrators because that's right. who live in their communities. Exactly. So, you know, there's that. Then there's also within the black community, there's a lack of resource. There's a lack of, there's, it's so much deeper because of the system is, it's so broken, but yes. look, I'm going on and on <laughs> because this is like <laughs> such a, this is like an issue that's so dear. Um, yes. And it this frustrates me every time, but as you can hear, you know, I'm sure that you may have dealt with some people who like me, you know, your mental state um, was challenged during COVID-19, kind of dealing with the pandemic and then dealing with the racial tensions that were going on. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about that, like the mental state? Because as Black people, we are already like, we don't need shrink. Um, we don't believe in therapists. Like, oh, that cousin's just, she's just crazy. Ain't nothing wrong with her. You know, <laughs> we are already like that. Um so, you know, can you just talk a little bit about, like, you know, as a, like, the mental state of the nation and just of the Black community, um, 2020, and even going into 2021, because 2020 was a big thing for us. Um, it was not new, um, but it hit differently. Right. So we talked about um, that the sort of a uh, global state of depression for the nation yeah. so yeah. that's the nation as a whole but when we look at um the racial tension um, that created a ball of emotions yeah different types of emotions there's the um pain 
anger, um, sadness, um, and a whole nother piece that no one's really talking about is the other side of the coin. There's some guilt. Mm. There's guilt um, from other races. Yeah. Um, Many of us have friends that are, that are not of color and they were dealing with some emotional issues as well, knowing that it was their, their forefathers who, who kind of created this mess. Yeah. And and here they are in the middle of it. Um, even though, you know, many years ago, but it doesn't matter. It it impacts us all, all generations following and generations to come were impacted. So so there's this sense of guilt. Um and and yet for some, we had to learn how to re I say I use the term reutilize. Mm. Um, you know, it's reutilization of the resilience, there's that word again, mm-hmm. that that has been learned from our families over the years. So yeah. as you said before, we we you know we we know how to adjust. Yeah. That's but true. emotionally have we adjusted. Mm. And so unfortunately for many black communities um, who experience this racial tension um, throughout their entire lives. Yeah. It has created a, a sense of post-traumatic stress. Yeah. yeah. You know, here they are reliving the very thing that they worked so hard to um, kind of deal with, to survive, to keep moving um, with the understanding that it still hasn't been corrected. Yeah. And so when you sit someone in that pot of hot water where they can't move, they can't do anything. Now what you've done is, 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 is you've created um, what some describe as uh, of having a wound mm. that tries to heal, but never reaches full closure. Yeah. And so every day we look on the news and we, we see yet another person who's, killed, murdered, another person who's a victim of racial tension, we're constantly picking at that wound over and over again, reaching no closure, no full closure. And so this is is causing um, many people, Black communities to have post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And then we wonder why they react the way they do. Why are people, some people angry? Why is it that that some people speak mean. Um, be, why do some people loot yeah. during human rights? Because they hurt. They're angry. They're tired of the wound not being able to reach full closure. Yeah, yeah. And I think out of all of this, we finally learned that the wound is being healed by the wrong physician. Hmm. The wound needs to be healed by God. Yeah. It needs to be healed by the people in the very community to come together and help one another. And I believe that's, um, I think that's a direction we're heading. Um, yeah. It was, it, it, this whole racial tension, COVID, 
It all put things in our faces where we had to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. On our own. When yeah. I say on our own, I mean within our communities. And and some things, a lot of things have come out of this. You know, there's, there's yeah. funding now for children and there's programs to really, you know, pull the heads out of the sand and look at the various uh, ways this has impacted Black people, people of color, um, yeah. from their babies on up to the elders. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, as you were talking, like, I just kept thinking, too, especially as you, you know, kind of spoke on, you know, the post-traumatic stress. Like, I think, you know, part of, you know, and as you say with, you know, resilience, part, like, some that's so ingrained in our culture that, mm-hmm. that, that um, character of resilience, you know, no matter what comes your way, no matter what tries to knock you up, knock you down. And I think sometimes we, we take that in a way that's not healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, you know, like you hit it spot on, like one of the things that we're learning to do is to come together as within communities and have conversations. Um, because I think there's so many, you know, like I think about, you know, you may not have seen it, but like it was an incident on The View. I don't watch The View, but, uh, you know, I I saw the um, the recording of it uh, between the white co-host and the black co-host and they were friends. Um, and I, as I watch it, I watch the white co-host kind of take the stand of as it, cause she was taken out for someone who has had some racist, um, um, actions and, you know, the black co-host was pointing that out, um, how his actions were racist. And, you know, for her, she was like, well, that's her friend and she knows her friend is not racist. And here she is talking to her black friend who, and I think sometimes, you know, even within that conversation, she then takes the stand of the victim. So even as her Black friend is trying to explain to her her experience or those things that she as a white person cannot see, like mm-hmm. you cannot, sometimes you cannot see racism for what it is because for you, it's something that's normal. That's just how mm-hmm. you navigate. That's just how you live your life. That's just how your friends talk. But for a black person, you know, certain languages and lingos and actions and you we're so programmed to kind of look at how people treat us and the way they treat us and how they navigate it. Because depending on how you're navigating, we have to be careful about how we respond. And I watched that. I watched that dynamic play out in that argument where she's the white lady took the the space of the victim. And here's the black lady trying to reassure her. I'm not attacking you. I'm just trying to get you to understand my point of view, what these actions and what he's doing, why it's racist. (laughs) And, you know, she became like, as if somebody was, as if the black lady was like beating her up. But here Mm -hmm. she is, she had to sit there and find grace (laughs) in the midst of her being attacked. She had to sit there and find grace and to speak in a calm voice and to, and it's just like so often as black people, black women, that's what we have to do. If another race or if another person gets upset, like normal things that will make somebody else upset. Like I think about it even in my own actions, I can't get upset. 
I, I can't get upset because my actions are going to be looked at negatively. My actions exactly. are going to not only look be looked at negatively for me, but for my race. So if I get upset about mistreatment in the store, oh, that's an angry black woman. She's yes. angry. She's just ghetto. Mm -hmm. She's this. So right. then I have to hide my anger, subdue my anger, and come out with niceties, um, stern niceties. Then it's like, oh, she's a cold bee, you know? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I just think, like, there's so, like, that trauma. Like, it just, every single time something is mm -hmm. going on, yeah. it's like, yeah. as a race and as a culture and as women, Black women, like, you know, as I'm talking about it, it's like, we constantly have to subject ourselves to um, self um, culture preservation, race preservation, because everything we do affects a race negatively, not a person uniquely, but a race. And yeah. we're not allowed to be angry. We're not allowed to be hurt. We're not allowed to be those humanistic characteristics that every other culture gets to, to have, to partake in and to adhere in without it being looked at as anything other than, oh, she's upset. Oh, she's um, sad. Oh, she's unhappy. Oh, she's mad. But for us, we don't get those humanistic characteristics when, as it pertains to us. Like when you look at this, so when, when you look at media, you know, the white, um, the white serial killer or the white um, guy who just went on a shooting spree, he, he's disturbed. Um, he has right. mental issues, right? But for the actual black person who the police were called because they're having a psychotic break, and the family didn't know what else to do, and they're calling because they're like, he, he's having a psychotic break, and we just need some help for that person. Oh, he's dangerous. We shot him because he's dangerous. He's a danger to us. How can you? How can we then look at the race who? that person who is a certain race who doesn't even claim their mental illness and say, well, they were mentally disturbed. That's why they did it. But for the actual mentally disturbed black person, oh, they were, they were angry. They were mad. Like, I, I think, you know, all those things are kind of part of the root and the issue. Um, yeah. and, and it's so ingrained. It's so ingrained, it like, even as I'm talking, like, one of the, the next questions that I kind of want to ask you about is, I think the church is shifting as well, because there was a moment in time where mental illness in the church was not a thing. You have a demon. Right. You have a demon. Oh, you're stressed. Oh, you're feeling this. You're not praying enough. Go fast. Go, go. There's sin in your life. So it was always a response of spirituality or a lack thereof, if you are dealing with a mental issue, whether it be a demon or you are not living a life spiritually acceptable. So you weren't fasting, you weren't praying, you weren't tithing. So there was also always a spiritual kind of um, response for your mental illness. But the sh church is shifting a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, mental illness in the church what it used to be, if you have any no. knowledge on that, and then kind of where it's going now, because like I think we've we've seen it where pastors have committed suicide because they're depressed. Um, yeah. So because... what? <laughs> so can you I'm talk sorry. a little bit about that? Yeah. So what you described, um, 
about the church many years ago in terms of the beliefs that mental illness was tied to um, a demon or, you know, not praying hard yeah. enough and not, you know, that definitely um, was the thinking many years ago. And, um, but when churches came to realization that it's not, they still were in a state of voicelessness. Mm. They still were in a state of shame, uh, miseducation, and just general suffering in silence. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even recognizing that, that, there's a difference, the church still didn't address it. Um, but today, um, especially with the impact of COVID, COVID-19, yeah. um, churches and faith-based organizations are reaching out um, to broaden awareness, to create better connections for resources, um, and for some, becoming the resource. Yeah. Um, um, the statistics are out there showing just what you said, a percentage of um, suicides in um, spiritual leaders. Yeah. Uh, it's real. And it's because they've, they've gone on for so long with the wrong information mm. and they were taught to just suffer in silence um, because otherwise you wouldn't be perfect. You wouldn't be Jesus. Um, yeah. You know, so all these just uh, miss understandings and about mental illness um, just continue to just linger for so long. Um, I remember uh, talking with someone recently about the Mental Health Awareness Month. Yeah. It was started in 1949. Wow. 1949. When you think of all the people of color who served in the military, yeah. well, World War II, um, and and later, where was the outreach for mm. them? Well, we know where it was. Nothing was happening for our people until the 80s, late 70s, 80s, pretty much. But it's shameful when you when you look at it because we knew as a people that things weren't there for us. And so we we created it we created the resources for ourselves in the churches back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. But why was it that we didn't choose to get resources for our loved ones who served in Vietnam yeah. and came back totally different from when they went? Um, that was an opportunity for us to do something better in our communities. But there's that shame. We can't acknowledge it. It's one of those things we just have to just, well, that's how it is. You know? Yeah. I hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation. Um, and hopefully, you know, in that conversation, it's just reiterating that all gifts are from God. So clinicians are from God. Therapists are from God. We often try to separate it because we read in the Bible where, quote unquote, what looks like mental health is described as demons. And, you know, I'm not going to say that there are not instances where those things are demonic. But I will say um, there are moments where, <laughs> if we're honest, not everything is a demon. 
Um, some of these issues are very chemical. Some of these issues are stress-related. Some of these issues are a little bit deeper. Um, but just like everything else that God's created, clinicians <laughs> are there to help. Therapists are there to help. Take advantage of them. Yes, fast, pray, do everything, read the word. Yes, we need that, but we also sometimes need to go a little bit deeper and uh, talk with a clinician, talk with a psycho, um, a psychologist, talk about those issues that we're often keeping bottled up. Like, you know, as I think about, you know, just issues of mental health, sometimes there is a real supernatural healing where people are completely changed, completely healed. Um, but for most uh, mental health is something that you have to live with. It is not something that uh, goes away. <laughs> so for most, it's something that you're constantly battling, constantly dealing with. And it just kind of makes me think of um, the word never says exactly what Paul is struggling with, but he talks about struggling with something. And he said that he prayed, he prayed uh, three times to be delivered from this thing. And God's response to him was, my grace is sufficient enough. So if you're struggling with mental health, I say the same thing to you. God's grace is sufficient enough. And in the midst of his grace, he's given us tools to help uh, walk through and navigate uh, those different areas and challenges that are arising. Um, and as I think about psychologists and clinicians, um, I think about 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, 12, verse 4. And it says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the spirit, the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And this just kind of makes me think, like, you know, Every single clinician out there, especially those like uh, Sister Lynn, who is filled with the Spirit of God, who loves Jesus, who is walking out his plan and his purpose, she is a God-ordained. She is uh, someone who God has given the ability to do this thing. He has given her, equipped her with everything that she needs to be able to help his people walk out whatever issues they might be dealing with, whatever grief they may be dealing with, uh, really dealing with those issues in a healthy way. So no matter what field you're called to, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you know God <laughs> to be the author and finisher of your life, you know him to be um, the, the overarching <laughs> um, leader of your life, then whatever area you're walking in is God-ordained. God that is a blessed area because you exist. You are there. And when you show up, God shows up. So be encouraged. Be encouraged no matter where you are. And even if you're dealing with mental health issues, be encouraged that God is able and willing to deliver you. And he's made the help available to you. Seek it out. Find it and use it, right? <laughs> we can't complain to God if we're not willing to use the resources that he's given us. I thank you again for joining me for this week's episode of Faith in and with Kay. Until next time, see ya. <laughs>